This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own Now time. you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. We unpack all the jargon and the confusing bits, hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating, and we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, we recently did our 2021 listener survey, yep. and there was a lot of requests for more on personal finance. Yeah. Now- I am definitely not a personal finance guru. No. You're you're better than me. You got a lot of spreadsheets, you know, a lot of VLOOKUPs, <laughs> a lot of some ifs going, uh, multiple tabs. Bands, yeah. But we've uh, we've brought an expert in who can really help us unpack some of the elements of personal finance that um you know that we probably can't speak to as well. That's right. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Melissa Brown to the podcast. Melissa, welcome. Thanks for having me. So for those of you who uh, haven't come across Melissa before, the resume is quite extensive. I'll just go, <laughs> I'll just go Do through. That yeah. <laughs> I'll just go through some of them now. Uh, she is an accountant, ex-financial advisor, and entrepreneur, and a huge uh, advocate for financial wellness. She's a, a multi-award winning serial entrepreneur, having co-founded the the Money Bar, which is a financial planning firm for Gen X and Y, co-founder and director of business at Thinkers.inc an innovative long-day preschool based on creative and critical thinking and uh, up until 2009 when the business was sold to an ASX-listed accounting firm. She was the CEO of A&TA, an award-winning accounting firm. Melissa, a lot going on. But before I finish, you have also written four books. <laughs> I know. I don't have children. <laughs> four books, uh, More for Shoes, Fabulous But Broke and The Global Best Seller. Uh, un-F your finances, and uh, most recently as well, budgets don't work, but this does. So huge. We were gonna we were gonna talk about personal finance, but maybe we should start with time management. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you find the time? <laughs> uh, like part of it is absolutely, and I say this unequivocally. I don't have kids, <laughs> yeah, because there is I I have that extra time that other people don't necessarily have, and I I just have the ability to get shit done. I just 
I'm an implementer. So I, I have a lot of ideas and I follow through on them. I think a lot of people talk about stuff, but they don't do it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I do it. Nice. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Melissa, we like to start with a bit of a game in these interviews. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a true or false game, and it's really about you know some of the beliefs or myths about investing that are pretty common for beginner investors. Yep. So, um, we'll start with this question. Uh, true or false, your very first investment has been your most successful. False. And uh, can you tell us uh, what happened with the first investment? Well, I guess the first investment was my house. Uh, and I, I guess it was successful in that uh, I bought a house and land package back in the day. I think I was on $17,000 income um, and I had to buy it a long way away from where I lived because I couldn't afford anything. Um, but it wasn't my success, most successful in that, yes, it meant that I've been able to buy a home, but it's certainly as far as rate return on investment hasn't been the most mm-hmm. successful. I'm just taking from that that you managed to buy a house on $17,000. <laughs> the land from memory was 48000 I mean, this is how long ago it was. And the house was about the same. Jeez. So, wow. Oh, yeah, I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> um, true or false, you had a strategy in place before you started investing. False. Yeah, definitely. I, I absolutely uh, wung it is not. <laughs> I winged, winged it. it. Winged it. <laughs> Blaming that on the headache. Uh, yeah, I absolutely at first it was winging it. Yeah. 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 And then final question, true or false, is investing as hard as you thought it would be before you got started? No, false, definitely. Mm. And I wish part of my regret is I never regret the things I do. I always regret the things I don't do. Yeah. I wish I had started earlier. I wish I'd backed myself more. Um, and I, I wished I had um, held longer, mm. like if that was the things that I could go back and do. That's mm. great because that's exactly the message we're trying to get across here. Oh, so, I yeah, love yeah. that. It's like I knew. So, Melissa, you, as we said in the intro, have written four books um, that focus on everything from, um, you know, key key sort of topics in um, personal finance, business, um, all sorts of things. So, we would encourage uh, our audience to go and check them out. They are Budgets Don't Work, But This Does, which we'll have a chat about, uh, Unf Your Finances, uh, More Money for Shoes and Fabulous But Broke. So, there's a clear, I guess, uh, indication here that you are passionate about finance um, what got you so inspired about this this topic? Now, I was thinking about this. I'm actually not passionate about finance. Right. And I'm not inspired <laughs> by finance. So, there you go. Interview over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're done. But I am inspired by the results you can have from okay. it. So, I don't sit down and geek out. Like, I don't sit there for an hour going, oh, I just want to read about finance and uh, yes, I'm inspired to learn more and I'm inspired to educate myself and to invest, but I'm more inspired by the results and the transformational results that you can have by giving a shit about finances um, and particularly the fact that it can give you choice. So for me, I'm passionate about freedom and options and living a life on my own terms. And as a result, I have to be interested in finance. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before the interview, we were talking about how you know financial literacy isn't going up; it's mm, probably it's declining uh, in Australia. Yeah, and you know we're not taught about it in school. Most people aren't taught uh, the basics mm. of managing our own finance. Um, you know, and then we sort of get to a certain age and we realise, oh, we should know this. Um, <laughs> and unf your finances, I guess, oh, is an essential guide to financial adulting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I guess before we get into the nitty gritty of managing our finances and personal finances, uh, what is financial adulting and what does the end result look like when you, I guess, financially grow up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, I think it depends. And my answer is always it depends because I believe finances is personal. And I think the myth is that there is this one size fits all approach. And often that's what we hear from uh, financial advisors. This is the seven steps to achieve wellness or you have to have a budget or uh, there's two paths. You have to own your own home and there's super and maybe if an investment property. Whereas financial adulting for me is realising there's multiple paths It's actually giving a shit about finances um, and it's figuring out who you are, where you want to go and making a plan to get there rather than just figuring out, uh, okay, my parents did this or the media says to do this, therefore I'm just going to run finances by default and not actually figuring out what's going to work for me. So true financial adulting, I believe, is figuring out who you are um, watch your where you're at, so facing potentially the mess that is your finances and then figuring out where you want to go. Because if, if I had three people here, chances are the answers as to who they are, uh, what their finances are like and where they want to go is going to be completely different. So it shouldn't be this prescriptive one-size-fits-all approach, which is where we need to actually give a shit about finances and be inspired by the result, not inspired by the process. Mm, yeah. yeah. So when you say, um, you know, if someone was to feel like they're in a position of trying to sort their money out, you've you said, who, who, you know, first thing is to figure out who, who they you are. are. Yeah. W- what does that actually look like? I'm yeah. sure it doesn't mean going sitting on a mountain, meditating, finding yourself. You need to climb higher. <laughs> What, like from a finance perspective, how does mm. knowing who you are re- start that process of sorting your money out? So I've been talking about this for I reckon a decade um, and Budgets Don't Work, that book is all about this. So I believe that until you understand who you are, you can't have great finances. As, and what I mean by that is both nature and nurture. Uh, it's your money story. So figuring out what's the money story that I inherited from my parents? What's the money story that I've picked up from the media? Um, And is that serving me or is it sabotaging me? Do I need to lean in it and amplify it or do I need to rewrite it? Um, But it's also figuring out how do I inherently behave? So what's my money type? And I believe there's four different money types, uh, the discerner, the relator, the creator um, and the worker. And depending on your money type will depend on What investments will feel most comfortable for me? How should I set up my financial life so that it becomes a riptide rather than an itchy jacket? Uh, So, for example, my husband is a worker that uh, he just wants to 24-7 – but he just needs jobs. You know, he. <laughs> <laughs> you don't? I know. <laughs> you would think I have from everything that I've done, but yeah. I do that from my discerner. Um, so for me, the idea of nine to five doesn't make sense. Uh, but I can work hard to strategically put things in place if it makes sense to me. 
Um, whereas he will perpetually be frustrated by people that work less than him but have a better financial result because he's so busy working that he's not investing. Um, and a worker will also potentially hoard cash and not want to invest because that makes them feel safe. Um, whereas a relator, for on, the other, on the other hand, needs to put their own uh, financial oxygen mask on first and they're most at risk of sexual transmitted debt and rescuing others. Uh, the creator is the most at risk, at risk of just blowing everything because they need it to look a particular way or, or just sitting back and going, you know what, I'm just going to manifest finances, which, you know, could work if you're also taking action steps and, and potentially hiding their investments away from themselves. Um, so when I say who you are, it's that. It's figuring out both my money story and my money type and then setting up habits and an environment that's right for me. Mm. And I think that's the first step that most people don't do. Mm. So the first step is figuring out who you are. Who you are. The yeah. final step is uh, having your finances sorted. Uh, what are some of – obviously everyone's financial journey is different uh, mm. and, you know, you said that everyone has to go on like their own path and it depends on, you know, what their goals are and who they are and all that stuff. Yep. But are there any commonalities that everyone who's listening can sort of take away as like key things to think about or key things to implement? So for me it's making sure that you're doing the basics right. So I'm a fan of uh, not having all of my money in the one bank account and then trying to rely on my own self-discipline and self-control to figure out what bills, what savings, um, or even moving the money into savings myself. You know, there's a reason the bank automates your mortgage repayment uh, because they don't trust that you're going to do it. <laughs> and most of us wouldn't if yeah, it was left honestly, to us. that's a good call. <laughs> a, and so we should act like that for our own personal finances. So I think the basics bank accounts you need are an everyday account, a savings account and a bills account, and to automate those payments and to eat I call it eating from the, the smallest bowl. So eat from the everyday account. And when that's gone, I don't go to credit. I don't go to buy now, pay later. Um, I act like a uni student and I might have rice for dinner or I might have to sell something. Like it's, it's going back to basics. I don't believe uh, when it comes to investing, I don't believe that there's a one size fits all in that everyone should own their own home um, or we should all work to pay off our own home. I think more and more home ownership may be something that we reject. Um, we may still own property, but it might be through rent vesting or it might be through property trusts or something instead. So we'll have a property investment, but it may not be your own home. Um, but I still believe for everyone, it's having that beautiful diversified basket of I've got, I'm investing in shares, I'm investing in property, I'm potentially investing in business and I have a cash buffer. Mm. Um, so there are still some commonalities yeah. around what I'll have, it just how it's set up and what it looks like might not be the same for everyone. Where do you stand on the credit card versus the, mm. the millennial afterpay versus hard cold <sighs> cash or um, Ren trades gold's gold yeah. at shops. <laughs> very, I, I can buy things it. from very few shops. <laughs> so I'm such uh, I'm so anti afterpay, and I will bang on about it all day. So I believe uh, afterpay is crack for millennials. Um, I hate how they market to women, particularly millennial women. So at an age where I should not be looking at instant gratification, I should be using the compounding effects of the time that I have and starting to invest. Instead, I've got 
large companies started by blokes, sorry guys, <laughs> um, marketing to women saying, hey, I'm going to use the power of framing and psychology to get you to spend more. Like it just makes me so furious. So I see it as sports bet for the guys enough to pay for the girls. Um, and I really liken it to that. But credit card and buy now, pay later are both bad debt. And what we want to do is not be sucked in by bad debt and instant gratification um, and even if you're not paying a cent in interest, even if you're not paying a cent in late fees, the research of digitised payments are that when we're using cash, lights up the insular region in our brain, so we feel pain, so we spend less. Doesn't happen with credit, doesn't happen with buy now, pay later, so we spend more. And the research says we spend as much as 100% more. Mm. So for that alone, we want to reject it. Yeah, yeah for me, the... You know, even though there's no interest, it's just about the the habit. Like it just gets yes. you in a bad habit yeah, of cash flow management. Yeah, saving, mm. all that particularly stuff, with yeah. this before pay as well. Now that's coming oh, through to yeah. um, mm. you know, depending and, how you used it. But and again, let's have a before pay or pay now or one of the many different options. It's marketing to people that are on a low income that we. I just don't believe there should be for profit products for low income. Where it's designed to get mm. them potentially into trouble. So yeah. Now I just want to play devil's advocate here. No, I think go. I think. Uh, tell me if you disagree, but yeah. I think uh, buy now pay later is better than a credit card. It, it's just not good. It's better. Look, so I would agree that if you are paying interest, that you could see that it's better than a credit card. But what I know is the framing effect of those full lots of twenty five payments. You're not thinking that I'm spending 100 bucks. You're thinking you're spending 25. You got no problem upping that to 35 when you would never have spent 140. Yeah. So I would argue that they're the same. Okay. Okay. Because of that yeah. framing effect. And then uh, the other one I was going to say was before pay is better than a payday loan. Yes, because of the interest rates. But again, I'd rather not have to use it yeah. and look at buffers, look at other sort of things instead. And, or even if I'm in so much trouble that I need that, to talk to Good Shepherd Microfinance and see if I qualify for mm. an interest-free loan or something else instead. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we have a question on budgets and we were going to ask you uh, <laughs> how important are they and, you know, how you think people can approach them. I think the title, My book title of gave your it book away, didn't give it, it away. <laughs> uh, budgets don't work. But this does. So yeah. maybe can you give us your thoughts on budgeting, uh, what you yeah. think doesn't work, what you think we can learn from it, but then mm. maybe if you can tell us about the but this does. Yes. Excel, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm such an Excel nerd. I hear that. So I love Excel. Um, and that's where it's uh, someone else will listen and go, oh, God, Excel, kill me now. It's courses for courses and it's got to be what works for you. Um, so I don't believe budgets work in the same way that diets don't work. Uh, they're super restrictive. You'll stick to them for a period of time and then you'll bust out and overspend. So you'll grab that money and when you could, you'd go to Bali or you'll buy the latest toy or gadget or if you're a chick, handbags or whatever. Um, but I do believe in understanding how much it costs you to live each month uh, and and. Under, having that basic understanding, right, what are my bills per month, but not budgeting to the nth degree. Um, but Professor Elaine Kempsom, who's a emeritus professor um, in the UK, she actually discovered that, that budgets don't work. This is not something that I've made up. Um, and she was going away to research what why that was. But I think that anyone who's ever been on a diet understands that that analogy of 
well, no, we know that doesn't work long term. So we know budgeting doesn't yeah. work long term. It's the it's the playoff between motivation and discipline. And like yes. with diets and budgets, you get incredibly motivated for whatever reason, uh-huh. and you put yourself on like the nth the degree strict. ultimate calorie restriction or ultimate budgeting, mm-hmm. but. You're not building good habits. You're just like yeah. you're trying to Starving ride that motivation yourself. for as long as yeah. possible. Yeah. But it's like, how do you build financial discipline or yeah. like dieting discipline? Is is really the long term thing? And I see, I see so much synergy between food and exercise and finances. And often, what works for you over here will work for you over here. So for me, when it comes to food, I will binge on chocolate like nobody's business. But I have a great base. Uh, I don't believe there's good or bad food. I just eat well. It's the same with money. I don't think there's good spending or bad spending. I don't think money's evil. It's just a tool and it's about spending and saving well. So how you do that is set up your your habits so your, your bit different bank accounts, your automations, but you also get excited about the result. And I think your motivation comes from that life you want to design and being so excited about that that you're prepared to suffer in the, the short term. And I kind of look at it as marathons and sprints. The marathon I want to I want to run is potentially a never-ending one to get me to that life I want to design or the time I want to stop working or have choice. So the sprints I'm going to do in the short term might be financial challenges, might be um, a rules and reward type thing uh, where I'll try and, and have 90-day or 30-day sprints where I'll say, right, what am I prepared to suffer for in that short term to get me to that long term. Um, and I think reframing your finances like that can actually be helpful. It's it's going to hurt sometimes. I'm not going to be able to buy that thing or do that experience if that end result, that marathon I want to run is so attractive. Um, and for me, it was all about having the choice to stop working in my 40s. And that was exciting enough that that's why I did all the things and wrote the books and started the businesses and did all the crazy things that you (laughs) read out in the intro (laughs) because I was so focused. And I did. I worked seven days a week through my 30s because I just wanted to not – I wanted to have the choice to work or not in my 40s. Um, And so that that was motivating enough that Mm. I did it. So that that sounds a lot like uh, there's a lot of echoes of fire coming through. So I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on that. but. Before we do, uh, mm. we just have to take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsors so Bryce and I can hopefully retire in our 40s <laughs> as well. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, um, as I said just before the ad break, you uh, a lot of what you're talking about there about retiring in your 40s um, yep. and you know being quite frugal with your spending, you mentioned earlier that if your everyday account goes to zero, you'll eat rice uh, yep. until you get paid again. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think of the FIRE movement? I think it's a great option for people that uh, are incentivized by that. It is absolutely not for everyone. And that's where I truly believe finances are personal. 
And where we can develop great financial literacy is understanding, ah, there is this thing called fire that exists where I can go hard, be super frugal, but then have choice to um, stop working later. But don't get me wrong, I was frugal, but also I don't know if you've ever, you probably haven't. I have a shoe cupboard that if you've seen it or if you've ever seen me on Insta, there's a reason my first book was called More Money for Shoes. Yeah. Uh, and your Instagram handle is yeah, More Money for Shoes. Yeah. You know, I, I do spend me some money on stuff. Um, and I travelled a lot for work. So I travelled overseas. I was travelling regularly. So I didn't need to spend extra on that stuff. So I'm not uh, – so for me it wasn't about – a complete denial. It was just having choice around this is what I'll overspend on and this is what I'm happy not to spend on at all. Whereas I know other people um, aren't motivated to stop working in their 40s. For them, it's really about they're actually quite comfortable working to 70 and having a very different kind of lifestyle where they spend more now, but they're still saving so they don't have to work when they're 70 and they don't have to drink cask rosé and wear Crocs and potentially move in with five other families because they haven't, they've spent everything younger and haven't looked after themselves. Mm. So I am absolutely an advocate of that. Finances are personal and it's rejecting this one size fits all. This is what our lives should look like and realising we've got choice. My spending account's running low at the moment. You don't want to know what I had for dinner last night. <laughs> <laughs> it was grim. Very grim. Uh, now, now you I love no, that. No, no, no. We'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. But I, I, I want to know as well. But I can't wait for payday, which is still... I'm going to get through a weekend. <laughs> I'm going to get through the footy tonight. Jeez, it's, it's looking grim. Anyway, um, Melissa, a lot of our community ask about the value of financial advisors. Mm. Um, for someone early in their money journey... Yeah. You know, how do you view the role of a financial advisor? Um, I guess the question is always value v cost and, and when yeah. is the time to pull the trigger, if ever? Like it's really hard because I believe that the younger you are and even when you don't have cash, that education and that financial advice is actually so valuable, the right education and financial advice. The problem is it's expensive and where it's not expensive, it might be free and inside a large institution where we know it's not. Um, independent, Thank maybe? you. Is that That's the word? exact yeah. word I'm looking for. It's there not independent conflicting advice. conflicting incentives. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a fan of advice. However, it's got to be the right advice. It's got to be the right advisor. Um, I always tell people if, you, if you're going to speak to a financial advisor, date a few. I'm not talking left, swipe left and swipe right. Let's go and talk to Although, a few. Tinder, Tinder for financial advisors isn't bad. Yeah. Don't don't uh, just look up the hashtag stock talk, which apparently there are billions of, <laughs> of you. So we want to go to an expert uh, for help. But it's also not for everyone, I don't think. Like I, um, I've worked out for a long time. I've never used a personal trainer but I know loads of people that use a personal trainer and really need that. Um, and because they've paid a personal trainer, they turn up and they do the work and they have that accountability. So again, it's figuring out what do I need? If I'm going to spend a lot of money on a financial advisor, am I more likely to do it? Because that's my personality. And if I am, maybe that alone's the reason to speak to a financial advisor. Uh, whereas it is so not for everyone. Yeah. So... I was just going to say the question that I always think is, you know, I feel like I'm 
in a reasonably good discipline of, of um, my money. Although yeah. you, you <laughs> ate rice and me going for dinner yeah, last I, night. <laughs> but I didn't go on the credit card. True, yeah, true. <laughs> um, so for me, it's like understanding what is the what is what would it look like if I went to a financial advisor, if that makes sense? Like, yeah. would they 10 times what eating, I'm doing? You'd be eating filet mignon. Yeah, it's hard well, to know. Would, would it be 10 times or would it yeah. just be... You know, that's the question that I have personally. Yep. Like, yeah, and I think that's the question to ask the financial advisor as well as what do you invest in? Because if they're not investing or you're not uncomfortable with how they're investing, well, then you're not going to want to be with them. Um, but there's also stuff you can do yourself. So the Australian share market has the share market game. So you can go and educate yourself about investing. If you love the idea of share investing and that's your only reason of speaking to a financial advisor – you may go and do something like that first and you may choose to use a financial advisor at the end of it, but at least you then have a clue what they're going to talk about. Or you might then feel comfortable, you know what, I reckon I could I could do this myself. Mm. Um, but I think that's also the, the popularity of ETFs, um, exchange traded funds and different things because people are realising, hey, I can do, do this myself. Yeah. And actually the returns I get from those sort of products are, act- are actually – equivalent to what I might be able to get from a financial advisor. Yeah. So where yeah. is the Where's the value add, yeah. Yeah. So one more question on financial advisors, and I ask it knowing it may be an impossible question to answer, sure. but I'm going to ask it anyway. Let's say I'm uh, you know, listening to this podcast, I'm a new investor, I've got two or $3,000 saved up, yeah. and I do feel like I want a financial advisor. Yeah. Is there anything I can do? Yes. I did say it might be an impossible question. So I think there's a couple of things. Is A, you could invest in financial education education with that. Uh, So, for example, people like myself have courses where we teach you how to invest. Um, You create your own strategic plan and we hold you accountable. So you could use that money for that. Or you, there are financial advisors that offer monthly payments. So with that, you might be able to pay by the month, get the help, and also be able to do some savings as well. Uh, so there are more and more financial advisors setting up for Gen Y um, and millennials who don't have a lot of cash. So I would do my research into who are they and and how can they mm. help me? Mm. Yeah, it's a really tough one. I think you answered it well, given that it was an impossible <laughs> question. Um, yeah, because yeah. chances are it could cost three to five for a yeah. great financial yeah. advisor and a good strategic plan. Yeah, so. we, we've got that question a lot from our community and we reached out to a whole bunch of financial advisors trying mm. to understand the lay of the landscape. And they were saying that even just to prepare a statement of financial advice is at minimum, I think we could find 800, but yeah. you know, you're talking four figures yeah. and you know, they've got a whole bunch of costs. So yeah. it's not on financial advisors, but it's no. just, it's tough for people kind yeah. of, you know, listening to this podcast. And it. that's part yeah. of the reason I handed back my financial life. I might, I'm no longer a financial advisor and I educate and where we actually teach people, this is how you create your own strategic plan. This is the concept of seven streams of income um, and give them the tools that either they can go away and do it themselves or they can take that to a financial advisor and say, hey, I've done this. Now, can you just help me with the investing piece? Mm. So therefore, your financial advice may be cheaper because they're not coming up with that extra for you. Speaking of investing, um, let's move to that before we uh, close out with a few of our most common questions. How Mm. would you um, 
How do you talk about investing for people that are early on in their money journey? Where does yeah. it sort of fit with the whole understand who you are? Let's talk about ETFs. Where does yeah. <laughs> so what I talk to them about is what sort of life do you want to design? Because when young people think about investing, I think they default to owning their own home and that massive deposit and therefore they potentially opt out and go play with buy now, pay later because, you know, I may as well have a good time now and I'll, my future self can deal with that. So for me, it's sitting down and saying, well, what, do you, what life do you want to design? If home ownership's not for you, but you really want to invest in property, then maybe it's uh, an investment property and you rent fest. Um, maybe it's starting small and investing in shares while you invest for that home deposit because you don't necessarily want to start doing that yet. Maybe it's uh, co-contributing a little bit more into super. Um, but it's realising that you have choice even though you don't think you have choice, even though this asset that you thought you should have, the home, might be so far in the future so you opt out. Uh, my conversations with Amara don't opt out because there are other things that you could do. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, building wealth doesn't have to be through bricks and mortar. Absolutely. Yeah. And there yeah. are so many ways to invest now. And I, one of the reasons I love the share market is I believe it's the great equaliser. I don't need the massive uh, deposit. Yeah. Um, I can invest with as little as 500 bucks or even nothing if I'm going via an app. Yeah. Like it's, it is truly one of the great equalizers. Yeah. So uh, on that investing theme, one of the key questions we got, uh, we reached out on Instagram before this interview, asked if people had questions. One of the most common questions we got back was about investing while in debt. Um, and I think there's probably mm. two sides to this equation. Investing mm -hmm. while in, you know, someone hasn't listened to you and got a whole bunch of buy now, pay later <laughs> debt or credit card debt. Uh, should they be investing or should they be paying that off? But also for people who have, I guess, good debt for want of yes. a better term, who have a mortgage, um, yep. let's say, uh, should they be putting more money to pay the mortgage off or should they think about other investment avenues? How, obviously, everyone's circumstances are different. Yep. But from a general perspective, um, what are your thoughts on investing? I love well in that debt? you just said that last piece. We'll keep ASIC happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so generally, uh, so, I th so two answers to that. If you've got bad debt, if you're paying high interest on a credit card, then my uh, thoughts with that is to figure out how quickly can I pay this off? So within 12 months, let's smash that credit card off or credit cards or buy now, pay later. It might be transferring it over to a nil, uh, no interest credit card. And if you've been able to do that, then you may choose to pay off the debt that's existing on the credit card with the interest rate, but then have an automation uh, for the time that you have that no interest card. And you could be starting savings while that's being paid off because I'm not, I don't have any interest at that point. But my, my usual takeaways are if you've got bad debt, sort that out first and then start investing. But if you have a mortgage, I get really frustrated by people who are fixated on paying off their mortgage to the detriment of starting investing because there's an old adage that you can't eat your house. So, and I don't want it, I don't want people to end up at 70 and sure I've got a home and I've got a little bit of super and that's, that's it. it yeah. That doesn't give me choice. Yeah. So my options then are, do I downsize? Do I bring in a border? I'm an introvert. I don't want to live with anyone. Yeah. Uh, so, if you can afford to pay your mortgage at an extra 2 to 3%, because we are in artificially low interest rates, so that way we're building a buffer and if rates go up, we're not stressed, then my thoughts are we need to start investing at the same time. And I know people have 
uh, if you've got a large mortgage, that may feel impossible. So then my question to you is, well, what sort of life do you want to design? Do you want to find, you want to have a good time now in the dream home, but find at 70, you have to sell that because you just can't afford it anymore. Um, and I've had people where they've made the decision to downsize because they're like, you know what? I don't want to not be able to start investing for the next 10 years because I just have to get this mortgage out under control. Um, so it's it's even rejecting those money stories about, I have to have the dream home or this is what my life has to look like. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. doesn't matter if you have good, if you've got good debt, if you've got okay debt, start investing. Mm. You did mention there briefly uh, the artificially low interest rates. How are you thinking about saving cash versus, uh, I guess, investing with rates so yeah. low at the moment? So if you are invest, if you're saving for something, so if you're saving for a property and you know that's a short-term time frame, then it's got to be in cash. You don't, you don't want to risk that by putting that in the share market or something like that. Um, that would be my opinion. Um, but you would also want to keep your buffer potentially in cash or if you've got a mortgage in your offset account. Because what we saw at the beginning of COVID was People like myself who talked about buffers for a long time, they're not sexy, they're not exciting, yet suddenly when COVID hit, they were sexy and exciting. And we want that liquid. So we want that in cash, even though it's not going to earn us anything. But for the rest of it, um, I don't want that in cash because it's not earning me anything. If anything, I'm going backwards. And this is a real uh, chat I've had with my hubby and different people like him who there are people, and I know that we hear a lot about spenders um, when it comes to, to money, but there are also people that hoard cash, that need great wads of cash and actually don't feel comfortable if that goes down. Yeah. So I would be saying to them, like I did with my hubby, what, fig, what amount makes you feel comfortable? What amount would actually give you the sleep at night? And, some, and I know if, if someone's listening that they're like, oh, I can't put a figure on that, well, then you need to go away and think about yeah. that because there needs to be a ceiling. And once you have that, then start investing and move that away from cash because all of the research is you'll go backwards if you have that money yeah. in yeah. cash yeah. and you're not investing. Yeah. Your number's a million dollars, isn't it? That's why in you're cash. eating rice. No, you're back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you can pour it all over you. That's just very random. No, no. So, Melissa, we want to uh, thank you for taking the time today. We do have a final three questions that we like to end mm. the interview with. But before we do, if people want to find out more about you or want to follow you online, um, where should they go? Uh, so social media, it's more money for shoes. Uh, online, it's melissabrown.courses or melissabrown.com.au. And I'm a fancy brown. I've got an E on the end. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So uh, the first of the final three questions, uh, what was the biggest myth you found out about investing or money? The biggest myth? I think it, I think it was that this is the path and there's one path. And I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney where it was uh, very blue collar. You buy a home, then you buy the investment property and you just work hard. And that is a total myth uh, that I was very happy to bust. Um, but that myth around hard work equals dollars, but also everyone has to own their own home. And then the next logical step is the investment property. That is a total myth and part of my story is 
is busting that and, and having people realise finances are personal. Mm, mm. Mm. What was the best resource you used to help start your money or investing journey or perhaps that you would recommend, um, obviously, other than your own courses? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I read everything. So I, when I realised, and so I I built uh, my wealth through business property and shares. So I read everything I could on that. Um, When it came to business, I studied an MBA. Um, I did the ASEC share market game. I talked to people that had invested. Uh, With property, I went to seminars. I educated myself and then I just did it. Um, So uh, if you're interested in shares, I know I've said it a few times, but the ASEC share market game is great. There are so many podcasts and books that you can read now. And what I would do is read them critically and say, do I like this? Or does it just, is it just wrong? And then figure out why. And that's how you can start to financially educate yourself around this is what could work for me. Because Scott Pape's book, The Barefoot Investor, it's an amazing place to start, but it is so not right for everyone. But you can pick out what you love and then move on to the next thing. Uh, there's another one called Quit Like a Millionaire. I love her um, her take on investing, but it's so not for everyone. Uh, there's books on fire. There's podcasts on fire. So yeah. it's just starting to get interested. Yeah, I thought there you were going to finish with Scott Pape's book is so not right, no. and I was I was here for the Melissa Brown <laughs> Scott Pape. <there>. Yeah, <laughs> he's so well, not right for everyone. Yeah. So, not, <laughs> so not right for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. John Hempton, the um, Australian investor, has a quote that has really stuck with me, which was. Mm. Every investor should read five investing books. It doesn't matter which five, just read yes, five. Yes, so agree with and that. It's just about like just reading broadly. It's yeah, so important. listening broadly if you're not a reader. Um, yeah, you just got to get interested. Mm. My husband's into cricket. He can quote you all the stats, all the plays. Oh, it kills me. <laughs> but he'll say, oh, but I don't get shares. I'm like, honey, it's stats. Like, yeah. If you yeah, could approach yeah. shares like you do with cricket, you would just yeah. get it. Yeah. So it's just realising it's another skill. Yeah. Uh, and to close it out, Melissa, if you had advice uh, for your younger self um, when you did first start, what would it be? Yeah, I think I said it at the beginning, start earlier, hold longer and back myself. Uh, I wished I backed myself, but I just wasn't confident. I looked around at those that were older or that I thought were doing it better or that I thought maybe went to a better school and thought, oh, do I need to emulate that? Um, but start earlier, hold longer, back myself. I like that. That's a really good message to, to finish on. So hopefully everyone heard that. Um, mm. So Melissa, we want to really thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. Of um, course. I'm sure we got a lot out of it. Hopefully uh, this time next month, Bryce won't be eating <laughs> rice. He can take so some I of your lessons. Find out what you ate last time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, massive thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Bates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. 
We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.